series called Begin Again. Uh, this is a series that is four weeks in length, and it's really all about personal transformation and, and uh, life redirection and starting over, things that are important to do from time to time. Today, we're going to talk about a fresh start and kind of getting us off on the right direction. And I want to talk to you for just a moment about, of all things, Plato. You know, Plato was created in uh, the early 1950s as an uh, apparatus for cleaning wallpaper. That was its purpose. Uh, Kroger actually asked for someone to make that so they could clean vinyl wallpaper, which was the rage at that time, uh, and they would get soot on it. And so Play-Doh was created to get that off, but children enjoyed playing with it. And so pretty soon they added color to it and it became an educational uh, device. It was created in Cincinnati, Ohio, just down the road. Now, you have Play-Doh in front of you, and we're going, to do, we're going to break some rules. Through this sermon series, we're going to break a lot of rules. And here's the first time we're going to do it, right? Because one of those is, certainly the janitors would tell us, don't play with Play-Doh in the sanctuary to get the carpet and the seats. Open your Play-Doh if you were brave enough to get one. Now, I have to say, I know some of you are going to love this, and others are going to hate it. And God, just God help you, just forgive us for that, if that's the case. If you hate this, absolutely hate it. You don't have to participate but I hope that you will. So get that Play-Doh out for just a second. It's actually important to our story. All right. Now take a smell of that because they say that the smell of Play-Doh is the smell of childhood. And it will take you back. Now here's what I need you to do. Real quickly, in your hand, you have some Play-Doh now, right? And if you don't, I'm sorry. You can get some on the way out. And I just need you to try to fashion that into something. If, if you struggle, right, you can just do the, the sphere, that's a pretty easy thing to figure. If you really want to get challenging, try to make a pyramid out of yours, right? That's an interesting shape to go with, or a square, or a cube, a cylinder. Uh, some people got really smart in the first, or the first service, which was on Thursday. They tried to make flowers. One person even tried to make a commode. Let's not do that, okay? But, but try to make something in your hand. I'm going to give you these next few minutes, a uh, few minutes here. Just kind of fashion something in your hand. And I want you to think about this for a moment. You are never more godlike because we want to try to be in the image of God, then when you create, God is a creative God. He creates things. And so you are going to join God for just a moment in this activity of creating something in your Play-Doh. All right? So I hope you've about got something here going for you in the Play-Doh. And um, all right, if you're ready, you've got 30 seconds to, to show your neighbor what you created. All right? So go ahead and show your neighbor. Go ahead. You can do that. See here, just a, just a, I, I'm not, not much on the creativity there. Now I did all of that to set you up for this next moment, which is not going to be much fun. Here it is. Are you ready? Some of you got really, you did really great. Now I just want to remind you that you had no Play-Doh or weren't using it unless you cheated, got into it early. Uh, you weren't using it two minutes ago. Now you've created something. And here's what I need you to do. Take that in your hand. I need you to smash it right now. I know, it's so disappointing, isn't it? Just need to smash it right now. Now, here's why all this matters. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. You can, you can have this in your hand as we read this, or you can put it up. Just don't let it get into the carpet or into the seats, or I'll get fired this week, okay? All right, listen to these words. You heard them once in the service already. They are from the prophet Jeremiah. Go down to the potter's house. There I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. 
But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, that is Jeremiah, and said, Can I not do with Israel as the potter does, declares the Lord? For like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. Think about this for a moment. That first phrase, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. Did did you grow up singing that song, he's got the whole world in his hands, that concept? That's important to this, this very idea of new beginnings and a fresh start. We are in the hands of God. Don't forget that. We are clay in the hands of God. He is shaping us in our lives. That was the point he had for the nation of Israel, but it's also true for each one of us. We are clay in his hand. And here's the second truth that Jeremiah learned, right? The problem is the clay gets marred. It has imperfections. You have imperfections. I have imperfections. So what does God do with our imperfections? He, he refashions us. He reshapes us. He remolds us. He this is a word that's hard for us sometimes to think about. He reforms us into an image that's closer to the image of his son. Now I want you to think about some other things that God created. Let's think for just a moment about the earth itself. Have you seen these pictures of late that have been shot of the earth and of the, of the universe? They're beautiful. At a distance, the earth looks amazing, doesn't it? I mean, at a distance, it's a beautiful thing to see the earth. that just looks gorgeous uh, to see all the colors swirling across The surface of the earth is spectacular. It looks pretty good from a distance. And here's the thing. A lot of us, we look really good from a distance, don't we? Right? That's the truth about us. At a distance, in the right light, we look really good. But up close, things aren't always what they appear. That's certainly the truth for our world. Up close, there are a lot of big messes. Things like hunger and poverty, crime, homelessness, despair, uh, the, the struggles that we have with disasters and disease. There's so many problems, so many messes. And I don't know about you, but when I see these things on TV, I, I sometimes think, man, what can we do about all this? I mean, how are we going to fix any of this? Is there any hope? Is there any hope in the in the situation with poverty? Is there any hope in this thing with crime? Are we just going to see more and more people murdered weekend after weekend? Is there any hope for changing that? I mean, how are we going to fix these things? Or how's God going to fix these things? These are messes that are big, really big. But I need you to know something about this. It wasn't always like this. The world wasn't always a messed up place. It didn't start out that way. In fact, It was very different. The problem is we, as human beings, as God's creation, we are really good at messing things up. (laughs) I want you to think about this. Like, it is not hard to have a messy house. It's hard to have a clean house. It takes work and effort, right? right, We have teachers in the room, right? You you don't have to, to do anything special to have a messy classroom. Your kids will mess it up really fast. You have to work really hard to not make it a messy classroom and keep it focused, right? That's the trick. We're just good at making a mess of things. It's in our DNA. It's it's who we've been almost from the very beginning. And I want you to ask this question of yourself as we think about messiness in our lives. 
Is it possible that for some of us, just like the planet we live on, that in our own life there's a mess that needs cleaning up? It might be a fractured or a broken relationship. It, it might be something that we've done that we shouldn't have done, where we've harmed another through our words or our actions. I don't, I don't know what the mess is. It might be a financial mess that you've gotten into. Is there a mess in your life that might require God's help to clean it up? I want us to think about this, not just from a human perspective, but from a biblical perspective. And I recognize that in the room it's possible we have people here who aren't coming at things from a Christian perspective. I was reminded during our Easter message that there were some visitors who didn't, they didn't, they didn't profess Christ as their Savior. They were here, they were invited here, but, but they weren't Christians yet, they weren't God followers, they were curious. So if you're curious today, I hope you'll at least listen to the biblical perspective on, on starting over. And if we're going to do that, we need to go back and look at where we began and think about some things from God's perspective. So I want us to get to our origin story. This is a big deal these days. If you, if you watch any of the superhero movies that are out these days, there's always an origin story, right? How did Superman become Superman? How did Batman become Batman? What's the origin story? How did they get there? Well, friends, we have an origin story. We read it in Genesis, and it starts with these words in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a lot in that verse, a whole lot in that verse, right? It starts with these two truths right out of the gate. God exists, all right? The whole Bible is founded on this concept. There is a God, and God exists. He's real, or God is real. God is real. The second is that God creates, that God makes things, that he does things. Think about what we read in the next few verses. I'm not going to read all of Genesis 1, but just think quickly about some of the things that says God created. And we read this right away. God created light. Before the sun and the moon, there was light. That's a fascinating idea. Like if the sun was destroyed, would there still be light? There was light before the sun, so probably there'd still be light. That'll blow your mind. He created the sky. He created the land and the sea. He created the vegetation. Thank God for strawberries, blackberries, blueberries, and raspberries. Amen? Love those things. He created the plants, you tomato growers. If you've got any green ones you want to bring by the office one day, feel free. We'll fry up some green tomatoes. And the trees. Thank God for pecans. Hmm, another thing. The sun, the moon, the stars... The sea creatures, the birds, wildlife, livestock. And then when we get to about verse 26, God says, let us create man, humankind, in our own image. And that's a really incredible thing he said. Just, just think, of, at the very beginning, you were created what we sometimes call the imago Dei, the image of God. You are an image bearer of your creator. That's a big deal. People sometimes say, well, what does God look like? Well, he kind of looks like you and like me. He kind of, he resembles, rather than saying he resembles us, we resemble him. We are created in his image. We are his image bearers to the world. And so what does that mean when Jesus talks about this, like in Matthew 25, you know, feeding the sick and the homeless and the help and, and taking care of people who are in prison, all the things he says there, what's he saying? 
He's saying, you represent me. You carry my image, so carry my image into those spaces, into those places, into those relationships. Make sure people see me there. You are you're created in my image. You carry it, my likeness. You are made in the imago Dei, the image of God. Now, when we think about all the things that God did right at the beginning, there's this great hope, right? If God can do all of those things, and he can create all of those things, maybe, just maybe, God then can create some good things in my life and in your life as well. In fact, I think the truth we read is that God can do things that we as people cannot do. A lot of people get really hung up about how many days creation took and how long it was and how much time went by. But the answer to that question is completely solved in those first four words, in the beginning, God. If God can create things, if he can do those things, however he did it, he can do it. He's God. We'd be wise to understand something that Jesus said about God in Matthew, where he says these words, there are things that with man are impossible, but with God, he says in Matthew 19, all things are possible. God can do things we can't. Thank goodness, because when I look around at the problems we're facing, I know I can't solve them. You know you can't solve them. But God can do things I can't do. And God can do things you can't do. Amen? Paul understood that. That's why he wrote this beautiful thing in Ephesians chapter 3. He said this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power, that is at work in us. Wow. God, who can do more than we could ever imagine, is at work in us, like we are his clay, and he is shaping us, he is working on us, he is, he is preparing us for the things he wants us to do. And he says it's for, because of that, there, that there can be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations, forever and ever and ever. And Paul's word to us is, God didn't stop working in the Garden of Eden. He has continued to work ever since the beginning of time, and he will work all the way to the end of time. Think about something else about our world. I said a few minutes ago it wasn't always like this. Do you know what, what God says in, in chapter 1, verse 31? God said he, had made all, he looked at everything he had made, and he said this, what? It was very good. It was very good. What God made wasn't a mess. It was a miracle. It was perfect. And so we messed it all up. And I say we for a reason, because we have to own something. Those people in Genesis, those people after Noah, that's our kin, our family, our folk. Whatever else you want to think about, those people are my people and your people. Uh, that's us. All right, and, and so this is the hard part. We actually can see the resemblance, not just of God, but we can really see our family resemblance in us too. Every time we mess up something, we see our family resemblance. Now, the mess they made was a big one, and we're going to look at it for a second, because some messes are so big, so impossible, as we said, only God can fix them, and that was the mess that they made right out of the gate. 
We're going to take a quick look at Genesis 2 because we're going to talk about beginnings. We had to really set up some important truths about what it takes to start over and about the nature of God's refashioning and reforming. So let's visit, let's visit Genesis 2 just for a moment, and I want to read some things about the garden and the circumstance. It says in verses 8 through 9 that the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yet Adam and Eve did things their own way, not God's way, because God had forbidden them to eat from one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one tree. He said, you don't eat from that one. You eat from everything else, but don't eat from that one tree. If you do, you mess things up, right? You've seen those clips. You had one job, right? You've seen those video clips, right? The guy that's painting the lines of the street, and they go crazy all over the place. And Like, you had one job. Just get a straight line down the middle. You can do this. But it gets messed up. Well, they had one thing. Like, there was plenty of food in the garden, right? It was an abundant, it was a buffet. Like, it was perfect. It was everyone's dream. Like, everything there you could eat. All right, it was pretty, everything that was a green plant, you could eat it and it had all kinds of great stuff. All those blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, all, strawberries, it was great. There's this one thing you're not supposed to do. God said, don't do that. And what did our family do? What did our ancestors do? They said, whoa. God said we shouldn't do that. But boy, it looks good. God said we shouldn't do that, but I kind of think we should. And so we did. First Eve and then Adam. But they were both right there together. Listen to what it says. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. This next truth is profound and powerful and you need to take it to heart. Ignoring God's will is always a mistake. Ignoring what God says is always a mistake. It will always have disastrous consequences. Their sin, their direct disobedience of God, changed their world and ours. I mean, we could just summarize those verses in 16 through 19 of chapter 3 to say some of the, the very basic things, labor pains, toilsome labor, thorns, thistles, cursed ground, and worst of all, banishment from paradise. Now, you would have thought that after their fall, Adam and Eve would have learned their lesson. They would have instructed their kids, listen carefully to the Lord. Don't err to the right or to the left. Disobeying God can be disastrous. He, he has great plans for you, but boy, step off the path and it can go bad in a hurry. But the story of Genesis is that as time went on, the messes that were caused by our unwillingness to live by God's instructions pushed our creator God to the breaking point. These are some of the saddest words in the Bible. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become 
on the earth. That every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. His heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I've created. What did he say about the clay? I'll reform it. I'll refashion it. It was a terrifying moment. Don't miss that. You would have thought that something so catastrophic as the flood would have changed us, but it didn't. Paul says that after the flood, after the do-over that God had with the earth, that the people did not think it profitable to retain the knowledge of God. Judges tells us that each person did what they thought was right in their own eyes, not what was right in God's eyes. Messes. Messes. The whole book of Judges is all about God cleaning up messes. The rest of the Bible, the Old Testament especially, all about how he was going to clean up messes. But the biggest mess was left untreated. Sin. So God destroyed the earth once with a flood. How was he going to take care of fixing it this time when we messed it all up? You've been through Easter, you know the answer. He sends Jesus, God clothed in flesh. He himself comes down and becomes one of us. Why does he do it? Because sometimes things are so messy and so big, only God can fix the mess. So he came and he cleaned up the cause of our worst messes and the cause of the worst messes that still exist in the world today. He came to clean up sin. Think about this for a moment. At the cross, Jesus made a way for us to be made clean, to be made new, to be forgiven, to be right with God. Jesus came not to condemn us, but to save us. And he came so that we could begin again. Some of you know Chuck Colson, others he'll be a new person to you because he lived and his most notable acts were before a lot of you in this room were born, but Chuck Colson was a member of the Watergate 7, a crime that shook the very fabric of our nation as it was unfolding under, the pre under President Nixon's presidency, a scandal that ended in impeachment and, and all kinds of problems where there was spying and there was deceit and there was cover-up. And the person at the heart of all of that, the hatchet man of President Nixon, was Chuck Colson. And incredibly, well, just days before he was going to trial for his crimes, he made this incredible announcement that he had accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. It was met with laughs and guffaws. <laughs> Sure, 
Right. You'll do anything to get out of trouble, won't you? Watch Chuck's story. I have watched with a very heavy heart the country I love being torn apart by the most divisive and bitter controversy in our nation's history. If this is to be a government of laws and not of men, then those men entrusted with enforcing the laws must be held to account for the natural consequences of their own actions. And not only is it morally right that I plead to this charge, but I fervently hope that this case will serve to prevent similar abuses in the future. years where I saw neighbors standing in bread lines. I was going to get to the top no matter what, no matter what, because I wasn't going to ever be caught in the position that I saw my parents in. I won't say I didn't have a conscience, I did. Uh, I had a, almost a self-righteousness about me. Self-righteousness is the worst enemy of all because you can't see your own sins. I ended up going to prison because of that. I have committed my life to Jesus Christ. I can work for the Lord in prison or out of prison. That's how I want to spend my life. I discovered they're all like I am. I suddenly realized I'm not any different than these guys. I'm not any better than these guys. I committed a crime, too. Mine was, you know, nobody got killed, but uh, we both prisoners. We had that common. I want to stop crime, but I want to stop it by the only way it would ever be stopped, and that's changing the human heart. The problem is not education. The problem is not poverty. The problem is not race. The problem is the breakdown of moral values in American life. Exactly right. And the criminal justice system can't respond. I came to love men, I came to know them as brothers, men that before in my life I'd have gone to any lengths to avoid meeting or being with. But above all, I saw the miracle of how God works in the life of man. I can, I can tell you that this has given me a new understanding on how to live the second half of my life. And not with the, with the understanding of what I can get or what I can attain in life. The first time I met Chuck Colson, I was in state-issued clothes in prison. And he shook my hand and told me that there's a different way to live, that there's a, a path that I must take. It's hard for me to get through Amazing Grace without shedding a tear or two, and especially in a prison, because it's the prisoner's national anthem. And I've never been in a prison and sung that and haven't seen eyes glistening in the light. It's so meaningful. I once was lost. They're lost in my prison. Now I'm found. We were holding hands, singing that, and all I could think of was what God has done and how great it is that he has given us the privilege for the 35 years of singing that song inside prisons all over the world. And all I could think of was all the places I've been and all the prisoners I've seen all the people without hope, and you can join the hands. It was one, it was solidarity, it was a 
we were one with them and they were one with us and we all knew it in that room and my mind just kept flashing over the sovereignty of God because I didn't do this I never strategized this it wasn't part of my game plan when I got out of prison I might do it for a while to help the inmates but I wasn't going to spend my life doing this and yet God ordered my steps every moment day by day Talk about a fresh start from being, for a time, the most hated person in our country, becoming someone who had changed the lives of tens of thousands of inmates around the world, leading people to Christ. Not only that, working for reforms in our prison system and improvements. He did an incredible thing with his fresh start. I want you to hear this. Today, God offers us a fresh start. The Bible says that anyone, if anyone is in Christ, they are a, a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. <laughs> what a great truth. We can have a new beginning today, right now. Now, if you're in this room and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then that means making that decision. I give my life to Jesus. You saw that Chuck made that same decision. It changed the course of his life. And if you are a Christian, if you've already been baptized, if you've already made your confession of faith, repented of your sins, and you're walking that life, you've already done that, but you find yourself today in the midst of a struggle where there's a challenge that's really getting to you. It's overwhelming you. You're struggling in it. Or if it's a struggle that you don't have personally, but you see in the world you struggle with it, you have a chance today to start doing something to change that. But, but it's not going to just be you. <laughs> You're going to invite God into your circumstance, into your problem. And that's what you need to do today. So, Lord, this, just say those words to him. Lord, this mess is bigger than me. This mess in my family, it's bigger than I am. I need you to help me in it. Give me wisdom, discernment. Work on changing hearts because I can't change them, but you can change hearts, God. You can do things I can't do. And I can't change their attitude towards me, but you can do things I can't do. So God, I need your help, please. And I encourage you, if you face a struggle like that, then invite him into it. If there's something in our world that's so messed up that you despair when you see it on the news, or you despair when you see it around us, then, then I invite you this morning, stop despairing and start praying. And start inviting God into that circumstance. And say, okay, Lord, what is the part that I play in changing that? Show me. We're not the first Christians who faced a world that was really messed up. Less than 200 years ago, we had family members, ancestors that were tore up about a world that was filled with slavery. And it was Christians. It was God-fearing people who led the charge for equality and for freedom from oppression. Today, do you know who leads the charge against human trafficking? Christians. They see a problem and they're doing something about it. You know who's leading a large part of the effort to help 
in the issues of hunger around the world. It's Christians, Christ followers, who say, this is not right, it has to change. You know who's leading the, the cause to get access to water in Africa? It's Christians. It's Christ followers who said, God, use me, invite, I invite you in, use me to make a difference, to do something here. Well, friends, we, we aren't here today by accident. God doesn't fashion accidents. He fashions objects which are meant for a purpose, people who are meant for a purpose. Now, I don't know if you're ready to accept this or not, but the purpose that we have is not our own. It's God and his purpose in us. So you're ready to accept that and to say what Jesus said. Not my will, but yours be done. If you have a decision to make, would you make it as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation?